On the Empire Podcast this week, we check in with Wes Anderson at the Grand Budapest Hotel, and then, in true TripAdvisor style, bitch and moan about the curtains. And did you miss him? Did you miss him? Did you miss him? Did you miss him? Sherlock's Andrew Scott drops by to talk about his new movie, The Stag. All that and more on the movie podcast that would quite miss BBC Three, actually. Leave it alone. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. After last week's live show to celebrate our centenary, we're back in the studio and ready to embark on, hopefully, another 100 or so of these things. Oh, God. It's a good thing. Okay, good yes, thing. yes, of course. Helping us getting along on Winding Road are three of my most esteemed and foolhardy colleagues. First, our geek queen, who's a massive fan of Supernatural. So imagine her disappointment when she watched Winchester 73 and found out it wasn't an abtastic prequel, but a Jimmy Stewart Western. It's Helen O'Hara. Right, okay, I would never be disappointed by Jimmy Stewart. He's wonderful. And there are really hardly any abs in Supernatural. There must be abs. There's I, barely To be fair, I've abs. never seen Supernatural. No. Uh, next up is a man who's widely hailed as our art house guru, but he's keen to stress he's into more commercial fare too. After all, his favourite superhero is Bergman. It's, <laughs> no, I, it's Phil Dissemblian. Hello, hi, Phil. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'd like to extend an apology to Aki Kurismaki. <laughs> For our, Every podcast for should our, start this way. For our, just in general, <laughs> yeah. for not appreciating his work at enough depth, but also for for um, for our live podcast quiz where we had to try and spell his name and no one got close. Uh, for those who don't know what Phil's talking about, last week at the live show, um, we gave out spot prizes. Uh, we asked people questions in order to win prizes. One of the questions was a sort of spelling bee to spell Akikira's Maki's name. Uh, yes. How do you spell it, Phil? I don't know. <laughs> Adin hey. Nazam. Adin Nazam. The wickedly, the wickedly talented, talented one and only K A U R I S M A K I. Okay, fair enough. Aka Aka Aki Charisma. Aki Aki Putangzopurimpi. All right, now we've got that nonsense out of the way. Last but not least is our tech whiz, a man who's never happier than when he's editing this podcast on at least four separate laptops, Rick Wakeman style. It's Ali Plum. I'm glad BBC Three is gone. Why are you glad BBC Three is gone? It hasn't gone. It's just gone away. It's just it's been it's, shunted to the iPlayer. It, it's in a farm upstate. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's I I've, I I enjoyed Family Guy the first time I watched it, and then, and then. Yeah, but they're responsible for so much great comedy. Go on. I was hoping you wouldn't pick, but not. Uh, the, the comedy shows are on BBC Three. I remember. Uh, no, 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 no. I don't remember. You must remember the comedy Does shows are on BBC, BBC Three. Four still exists. Yes, BBC Four still exists. It hasn't that's moved a serious, down. A, down that's one. the arts-minded uh, BBC station. Yes, with lots of documentaries. Whereas BBC Three is like, yeah, lager and crisps. Yeah, Magaluf. They, have, they did yeah. have documentaries. Actually, they, no, you taught me just... around. You taught me around. I'm glad BBC Three is gone. <laughs> Screw it. Uh, all right, so let's take your questions. You've been sending them in all week via the twits. Uh, the first one is from at Atur T, who asks, what's the first film you walked out of? Mine was The Crow 2. It was bad enough, then Iggy Pop started masturbating. What an amazing coincidence that he was in the cinema with. I know. That's <laughs> just... How did that... Well, he does have a lust for life. Okay, first film you walked out of. I've never walked out of a film. You've never walked out of a film? No, you've paid however much mm -hmm. no matter how rubbish it is mm -hmm. you stick it through to the end so you can bitch about the curtains later do you you do okay I haven't watched out of a film either I can't I mean I've sat through some real drag <laughs> that what was that Lady Henry film where he where he um, where he whites up a true identity yeah I sat through the whole of that you sat through if you can it, sit yeah. through the whole of that you can sit through the whole of anything <laughs> including 2010 A Space Odyssey 2 
Uh-huh. Conquest of Paradise I also sat through. Uh-huh. Um, I have been walked out of a film. Been you marched out, but I think I might have... Was it Iggy Pop cocking all of this? <laughs> <laughs> You're coming with me. <laughs> you gotta, you got to give us some context. Yeah, you can't just, you can't you just introduce that. Go on. What were you marched out uh, We, I went to watch, in a crowded West End cinema, a packed West End cinema, uh, See No Evil, Hear No Evil, <laughs> with my dad. That's a blinder. Which is not the greatest in the, in the prior world of canon. It's not. But, no. you know, it had its moments. But my dad doesn't particularly approve of the, the cursing elements of movies. Okay. And he never really yeah. has. So we, about a third of the way through this movie, and bear in mind that we were sitting sort of halfway down, right, right on the other end of the aisle. So you had to go past everyone to get out. Mm-hmm. Dad turned to me and he just went, next time there's a swear word, we're going. So... I spent the next however long just praying that they weren't going to swear. Why did you say that tone of voice? You didn't write the script. Is that... Why did you say that I don't know. It wasn't my fault. Exactly. exactly. But he was just like, we, I'm, we, I'm not going to... And I think he felt bad that he'd taken me to this. And he'd have okay. to go home and explain to mum how his impressionable son had absorbed all this Richard Pryor uh, cursing. Anyway, so there's a bit where... I don't know if you're familiar with the film, but there's a bit where Pryor and Wilder are cornered by the villainess. And she turns to them and says, do you have any last requests? And Richard Pryor thinks for a minute, and I'm thinking for a minute, don't say what you're about to say. <laughs> and he thinks a bit more, and then he goes, I suppose a fuck would be out of the question. And oh. dad, dad just grabs me, no. and we're gone. Did, but we're gone in slow past did he, all um, these people. out. The, oh, did he try to eject dreadful. other people as well? Right, you're coming Everyone's to you. <laughs> Let's go. I've got a bus. Pop, you're coming. Yeah. Well, how did your dad feel about the scene where uh, Gene Wilder... Uh, pretends to be an FBI agent and he holds a lady hostage and she's naked oh, he doesn't hold her hostage but she, he pretends to have her at gunpoint and he puts his fingers in his pocket to pretend he has a gun mm. and then because she's naked at the end of the scene the punchline is he takes his hand away from his pocket but the bulge remains because of course um, he's seen he's everything tumescent because yeah Thank oh, he loved all that yeah I just I, I wanted to do so in a tasteful manner you know well, who the last person to use the word tumescent was <laughs> you, <K-pop>. you, <laughs> about a year ago. Yeah. <laughs> I'm worth a million of prizes. Also, I'm tumescent. Amazing. Mr. You're the only person in the world that uses that word. I love it. It, um, it appeared in 10 things I hate about you. I love course. the idea that, was... that on Iggy Pop's front door, there's a little letter that goes, I, I pop. Massive tumescence. Well, my dad doesn't have a problem with that sort of visual based tumescence gag. He's okay with that completely. Maybe did, because he was weaned on the whole carry on oeuvre. Did he not have uh, any prior knowledge? But, oh, God. <laughs> this is getting wilder and wilder. Hey. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. Anyway, Mum and Dad went to watch Twelve Years a Slave on Monday, and that was much <laughs> From more from the sublime to the ridiculous. Much more to her taste. <laughs> Helen, mine's much more shameful. I walked out of leaving Las Vegas. <gasps> it was a free screening. It was at university, and it was just—I was just not in the mood. Nobody I was with was in the mood. We were all just looking at each other, going, "This is so depressing." So you were, we were leaving, leaving for, Las Vegas. We left leaving Las Vegas. Yeah. I thought at one point I'd also have to leave uh, Chasing Amy because I went through that in uni as well with a friend of mine who was, you know, quite straight-laced. Um, he's a lot less straight-laced nowadays, but he was very, very straight-laced those days. Um, when they started having quite graphic discussions of, you know, what Amy... Well, not what Amy, but what she did with her girlfriend, you know, he, he got visibly uncomfortable and I was sort of sitting there going, he's going to walk out any second now. And What did Icky Pop think of it? Iggy Pop seemed to be okay with it. Good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Iggy popped out, I think. We yep. can't walk out of films, though, because we're professionals. We, yeah. we don't now. We don't now. Apart from um, Pacific Rim. 
you think of the, you, uh, you slept out of you snored out of Pacific Rim I don't know how I slept through that film you did walk out of Pacific Rim you say you haven't walked out of a film you walked out of that one it's like falling asleep on an airport runway it's just I don't know and I did I did leave but that that's that's been tackled before in this very podcast it certainly has I would like uh, to apologise to all concerned in the making of that film for the repetition of an anecdote Next question is from Hector LG, who asks, what would you prefer to sit through? Ten one-hour Michael Bay films or one ten-hour M. Night Shyamalan film? Mm, there's that a is, twist. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, if it was Shyamalan on form, if we could, you know, if we could be assured that it would be, you know, the guy who brought us uh, The Sixth Sense or even Signs. I think that guy's gone, Helen. Yeah. He's gone. Say goodbye to him. Um you know, I, I like him. He's, I mean, he's a nice guy. We had him in here for, for After Earth, and even though the film isn't all that, you know, he explained it very well, and I saw what he was going for, and I kind of appreciated that. Um, ten one-hour Michael Bay films. I mean, how how would you even cope with the explosions after I don't, I don't. I honestly don't think there's a debate here. I think it's Michael Bay all the it's way. It's Michael Bay. There have been ten Michael Bay movies. His 11th is just coming up. So are we taking ten Michael Bay films, excluding Age of Extinction, <laughs> and compressing them to an hour? Because if that's the case, if we took the hour's worth of great stuff in each film, or good stuff in each film, yeah. then we're rolling. Oh, then hang I'm on. Happy. I'm on board. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah let's do that. Yeah. Uh, even, even that aside, I would rather watch, as bad as Michael Bay's Transformers movies have mostly been, the first one, I, I still think, aside... I'd rather watch a Michael Bay film because at least it has a bit of energy and a bit of gusto and, and you know explosions and, and funny one-liners and I'm not sure I'm not, I love Unbreakable I love The Sixth Sense but honestly he's his most recent films have been turgid self-parodies mm. I will say there's a 10-minute supercut online of every transformation in the Transformers movies which is utterly brilliant I mean that, I think that's possibly more down to ILM than Michael yeah. Bay but it's just terrific so <laughs> if it was just kind of that for 10 hours I'd probably be happy I think I'd watch a 10 hour cut of The Rock yes me too (laughs) I think the one other thing is that his movies do for the most part star the wit wickedly talented wickedly talented Sheila Buff and we love him (laughs) (laughs) wickedly talented one and only should be the bibbaloob okay I think we've definitively answered that one let's move on I'd like to watch 10 Michael Bay Samsung product launches (laughs) Phil would you rather sit through Uh, one 10 hour Ingmar Bergman film yeah or yeah. 10, 10 hours. <laughs> God, good question. Can I have both? <laughs> Why not? Because you've been good. Why not? Uh, all right, the next question is from at Wood of Kings. By the way, that last was not, that was not a, an endorsement necessarily of Michael Bay over M. Night Shyamalan, in case anyone's getting the niggers in the twist. But we answered the question put before us. We did. Right? We yes. did. Okay. At Wood of Kings, great name, asks, as running times increase, maybe it's time we brought intermissions back. My bladder would be grateful. First of all, train your bladder. Come on. How to train your bladder? How to train your bladder? Next summer. bladder. It's, I mean, you don't want to turn into. Uh, there's a certain member of the Empire team who always has to sit on the edge of the row so he can get up and go to the toilet halfway through the film. Um, I think we really, should refrain from naming Dan. I am refer- The Hobbit has two intermissions, and they're each a year long. Boom! <laughs> burn. Take that. Take that. Lake, Bilbo Baggins. Lake Town. Uh, what do we think about this? Um, yeah, the, the last film I actually saw that had an intermission was Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet. Which had it in uh, oh, yeah. the two-hour mark, and it was it was gratefully accepted. <laughs> we we walked around and and thought about things for a while, and wow. then we went back in and enjoyed it even more. Uh, I suggested to Adam McKay last uh, that the new longer cut of Anchorman, which is now out of cinemas already, just lasted for a week, and I quite enjoyed it actually. Okay, I yeah. quite enjoyed it, but it is two and a half hours long. Should have had an intermission, but not just normal intermission. Should have had a really depressing intermission, so you would be showing pictures of like puppies being punched and stuff, just to you know really get you down again. And then the the comedy starts. 
he thought it was a good idea, but it was too late. Sadly. Wow. Too late. Just him then. Maybe not the puppies being punched, but you know, sad things like you know, EastEnders. Do like, not be surprised to see them re-re-release this film with that idea in it in the next yeah, few weeks. Yeah, yeah. It was. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. There was a couple of things in there that they definitely shouldn't have cut out the uh, the original version. I thought. Like, uh, there was a cracking musical number, which um, McKay said that it ground the narrative to a halt. But really, there is no narrative. So. Um, <laughs> the, that's that argument's a bit moot, but it's really really funny, and there's some nice alternate takes I thought were better than the original as well. But there's lots of jokes. I, I started writing them down on my phone. Looked like a weird stalker halfway through. I'm sure. Anyway, yes. Where do we? Where, anyone else on the intermissions? Is this talking about Wolf of Wall Street? Because I'm curious. To, I know it's not going to happen, but part of me would love a Blu-ray version of Wolf of Wall Street to be the quintine hour cut that mm. Scorsese origi- originally had planned, which was whittled down to just over three. Mm. Presumably that's what we're talking about here Because I think if You know, what else did they get up to? I mean, what else What other debauchery was to be seen? I'm very curious Yeah, I'd be very intrigued to see that But it is a good point You know, a lot of films are Two and a half, three hours Some of, you know, obviously There have been great films throughout history Lawrence of Arabia is only four hours long Do they need intermissions? You don't go to the theatre And sit through four hours necessarily, do you, Helen? Uh, if, if it's four hours, there's generally an generally intermission. If it's yeah. if it's you know two two and a half, not necessarily. Usually, mm. if it's two and a half. But honestly, I think if it's if it's under three, there's no way there should be an intermission. Mm-hmm. If it's approaching four, maybe there's a case for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be honest, uh, you know, just Hold go it. and immerse yourself. Hold I, it. I think Hold cinemas want to get people in and out, don't they, as much as they can. Yeah, but think about it. If you went to see a, f- a three-hour film, a three three and a half-hour film, and you had a fifteen-minute intermission. Mm. And then you had Jeff Stelling and Chris Kamara talk about the film you'd just seen mm. and analyse the highlights. But during that time, if you didn't want to watch that, you could nip out the foyer and buy yourself a big mega gulp and some popcorn. Look at the blocking here. Yeah. Beautiful. Absolutely. I can imagine. We saw all the mirrors, he delivers that line. You don't buy pace, power, precision. Uh, that'd be great. How good would that be? That'd be amazing. Anyway, <laughs> I fear we've lost everyone. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's move on to the next question. This is a good one from at... Andrew A. Moore, who says, Best forgotten Oscar winners slash nominees. I fear for Barkat Abdi, great as he is. Yeah, I hope he gets some really good roles in the near future. I think he, he could do he could do great things. He was fantastic in that film. He worked really hard at it and, you know, deserves some more big big shots. Um the the names that came to mind after some thinking <laughs> in this in this instance, Keisha Castle Hughes. Remember her? Keisha Castle Hughes. Yeah. Yes. She was in Well Rider. Yes. And then she went on to star in... Revenge Cre- of the Sith. She was in Revenge of the Sith briefly. She was also in The Nativity, yes. where she played Mary. And I remember the story because she actually got knocked up <laughs> off, off, off the set as well. So she was, you know, that, that kind of ground her career to a halt. Method. Yeah. She went, she, she went full method. Jay Davidson, Oscar nominated, obviously, for The Crying Game. And he wasn't particularly keen on becoming an actor in the first place. So I suppose it's a slightly different thing. But I think he'd been um, chased and chased by Neil Jordan's casting director and persuaded eventually to take the role. Got Oscar nominated, was a big sensation overnight. And then I just disappeared again into, into obscurity. I don't think he ever really hankered for a career. Choice. I would think it was his choice. Yeah, exactly. He didn't really hanker for a career as an actor particularly. So but, he didn't get an agent, didn't bother with any of that stuff. But first he was in Stargate. So there's that. He was raw. So, yeah, in a sense, already as powerful as he was ever going to be. Um, 
and that's a great that's a great one-two punch to anyone's CV, isn't it? Hell yeah! The Crying Game and Stargate. <laughs> I'd walk away after that. I like Stargate. You can see uh, Damien Bashir. Do you remember Damien Bashir? He was yep. Oscar nominated for for Better Life, which was directed by Help Me Out, Helen. I forget. Me too. Damien Bashir, who starred in A Better Life, is Oscar nominated. He has subsequently been cast as the evil Mexican in like five different Hollywood films. So you can see why sometimes it can be a bit frustrating for people to get immediately yeah. typecast as the villain of whatever sort of ethical background they have, well, ethnic, ethnic background they have. Jean Dujardin, of course, made fun of that in a funnier Die video straight after his Oscar nomination for The Artist, um, you know, arguing that now, of course, he'd be cast in every villain role in every sequel in Hollywood, um, which is a very, very funny, uh, funny uh, clip. Uh, he hasn't obviously gone that route. But as a result, he's had quite small Hollywood roles. So, you know, maybe there's something to be said for taking the villain roles where uh, hmm. if that's what you're offered. I'd like to mention Jack Wilde from Oliver got a Best Supporting Actor nod uh, and it died reasonably recently. Um, but then there's also Dean Stockwell, who I know isn't like forgotten by any means, but he is my favourite. Of course, played Al in Quantum Leap and was also in Battlestar Galactica. But he was nominated in 1988 for Married to the Mob. You know, you're still a big fan of his from his TV work, but oh, he got an Oscar nomination. Oh, good for him. Danny. Danny Aiello. Let me hear you say. Danny Aiello. There we go. Who was in Hudson Hawk, which we all love. Uh, but yeah, he got nominated uh, for playing the uh, Sal, the pizzeria owner, in Do the Right Thing, where he's mm. excellent. He's excellent in everything, including Hudson Hawk. Uh, <laughs> but he, he is somebody I feel like is underloved uh, and. Uh, Though I can't pronounce his name properly. <laughs> they all, all. I mean, yeah. those guys. Most of the people we mentioned have sort of gone on to get steady work, if, albeit yeah. in you know supporting type roles. The, the, there's news recently that Barkabadi's struggling to find work and to you know put to make ends meet because obviously he shot Captain Phillips a couple of years ago, mm. and since then it's been not. He's not had a lot of a lot of acting work come through on the back of it. But there is news that he may be joining uh, a film called Place That Hits the Sun. Apparently, which in which he'll play a South African marathon runner. Cool. Who ran in the 1992 New York Marathon, I believe. So, fingers crossed for him. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely indeed. Uh, Keisha Castle Hughes update: She's uh, married to a DJ called Jonathan Morrison, and she moved in 2013 to LA to pursue a bigger acting career. We wish her all the best. Okay, if you want to get in touch with us on the Empire Podcast, you can Facebook us, we're Empire Magazine. You can Twitter us, we're at Empire Magazine. Please use the hashtag Empire Podcast. And you can email us, podcast at empireonline.com. Okay, time now for our first interview. Andrew Scott is the Irish actor who hit the big time as the nefarious nemesis of Benedict Cumberbatch's Sherlock Holmes and whose recent return to the show set tongues wagging furiously. This week, he can be seen as a lead in Irish stag do comedy, the stag and in the interests of colliding Irish accents together so they became so thick that subtitles would be required we sent Helen along to interview on the earlier this week so we did Helen do you enjoy it? Ah oh, yes he's a uh, lovely man so he is. he's, he's just rehearsing grand. a play in London so Lovely fella enjoy the interview Andrew Scott welcome to the Empire yes. Podcast Thank you um, So the stag is the story of a stag do gone wrong or right it's kind of hard to say yeah well you, you go through the foothills of the uh, of wrong and right i think just like you do in the foothills of the mountains there's a nice little analogy there for you oh, very lovely, yeah. <laughs> um yeah it is it's a, it's it, it, the, the the basic subject matter of it is is you know why why we go on stags really and um it's about kind of very modern Ir- modern irish males um and about modern friendship really mm. and and whether the idea of a stag is outdated and all that kind of stuff so this i suppose the premise of the film is to 
to ask the question is, you know, what's the point of, of, of stags in this day and age when we're all allowed to have female and male friends and all that kind of stuff in here. It's not really a goodbye to anything at this point in no. in a man's life anymore, right? No, exactly. You're not going to be like, oh, it's your last day of freedom and <laughs> the ball and chain and all those horrendous things. Yeah. Or, or even for, for hen nights, actually, yeah. as well. You know? <laughs> um, and you've done a lot of uh, audio work as well. And I was interested to see that you voiced Jay Gatsby. Yes, I did. I sure did. Did you feel a bit aggrieved that Leo got the film role then? I couldn't believe it. I was in shock, Alan. (laughs) Um, uh, Do you know what? That is such an incredibly beautiful... I had never read the book before I I did the radio. And it's an incredibly... Actually quite a cinematic character, which is why, weirdly, it works on on radio. But, uh, yeah, I've done a lot of work on on the radio. You can be very... um, You can be actually very expressive on the radio just using your your voice yeah. and something uh, the voice is something that I'm I am very interested in and sort of y- using the different what's the word timbres timbres of your yeah. voice timbres uh, of your of your voice and you know how we use and how all our voices change on a day to day basis yeah. you know and did you go around calling people old sport? Old sport. Um, yeah, I did. That was great. It's so romantic. It would break your heart, that book. Wow. It's a really, it's a real piece of genius, isn't yeah. it? No, it was extraordinary. Yeah, it was really, really amazing um, to do that. And, I mean, because you've, you've done other audiobooks and that kind of thing as mm. well. Do, are you a big reader yourself or is it just, what you know... No, I just read. <laughs> I just read. I've I read four, four books, <laughs> and I've done four radio plays. <laughs> uh, no, I, uh, I do. I, I, I do like reading. It's kind of one of the the things where you have to read a lot of scripts for your job. It's, it can sometimes take uh, take, take the, the joy. take the joy out of it. You get a bit um, word blind. Um, yeah, I mean, for example, the radio play. I had read the book, but I didn't want to read the book too much. Uh, a little bit like the research thing. If there's an adapted, if it's adapted from a book. I always kind of don't want to read the book, which yeah. some people say is is madness. But I, I don't know. I feel like you, then you have information that you have and you, you've got to be in charge of the storytelling that the script is doing. And, and uh, um, yeah, it's an interesting one that, you mm. know. And I know you like doing accents. Do you have a do you have a favourite? How's the one you're doing? Are you doing one at the moment for this I'm play? I'm doing is that a right? sort of what they call estuary. Estuary. Yeah, How's that? Which is sort of uh, uh, which is sort of an English accent, which but isn't too too specific. But I do. Yeah, I love accents. I do. I do. I'm not sure. You know, you have different um, abilities with different dialects, uh, but I, I I do like it. I do. I I do <laughs> like it. But then sometimes it's good not to do any accent as well. Yeah. You know. Uh, so uh, estuary English recently you've also been doing posh recently i think for frankenstein is this correct yes yeah 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 a little bit of posh a little bit of posh geographical location <laughs> yeah uh yeah R- rp as they call it uh yeah sort of more standard mm-hmm. yeah it's actually easier it's actually easier i think maybe we we hear it a little bit more or maybe e- easier for an for an an irish axe axe for an, for an irish accent it's really we were just talking about it there in in rehearsals I'm rehearsing a play at the moment and we were just talking about when people say do do a little bit of an accent is actually much more difficult than kind of going the whole hog and um, so you know there's this um, kind of accent they call which is mid-Atlantic where they say put on a mid-Atlantic accent you think what the hell is that how do I do that which I think just means don't reveal don't colour it too much Mm. Um, (laughs) I've I've got some questions I've I've been given by colleagues um, about uh, 
about Sherlock sure. in particular, of course. And Sherlock, sorry, just remind me. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite popular. We TV okay, series. Okay. Oh, yes, earlier, I do. Yes. I remember. Uh, that, first yeah. of all, though, I've got to ask, you know, as an Irish person, how do you feel about Benedict Cumberbatch photobombing you two at the Oscars? I thought it was absolutely <laughs> glorious. It made me, like, incandescently happy. <laughs> Um, I thought it was so brilliant. Photobombing is always brilliant. Yes. But it was so brilliant. It was just so fantastic. It was very athletic photobombing. He got right up there, didn't he? <laughs> I love him for it. And I will love him forever. I think it's my favourite thing he's ever done. Wow. <laughs> are you I mean, gonna... offset. offset. Of course, of course. <laughs> yeah. um, now, if his fans are Cumberbitches, what should we call yours? Well, there's a, that's a controversial question. Uh, they, they have two names. One of them is Scotties. And the other is Mascots. Oh, Mm, so oh, those are both good. Yeah, they're both good. Yeah. Which, which what are you feeling, Helen? Well, I quite like mascots. Just yeah, like I, with, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like mascots too, but then I don't want to come down and... Each to his own. We don't want to cause a flame war somewhere between, <laughs> exactly, between two rival groups exactly, of fans. Exactly, like West Side Story. <laughs> <laughs> How bizarre would that be? <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and now, when people come up to you in the street and shout, did you miss me? Do you mm. have a standard response? People are so sweet, really, really about that. People go, and actually, we really did. <laughs> you go, oh, thank you. So they answer for themselves. Um, uh, I haven't had a huge amount of that, oh, I really. I get a lot of it in um, in mail, in, in yeah. fan mail. So what what did you do for the did you miss me scene? Did you go into a studio for a day? Did you, you know... Do, okay. it, how, do, you, do you remember how that was I shot? I remember it really clearly. I just done the. Um, I had just been locked up in a in, in the in a straitjacket for the day. I only did uh, one day's filming on Sherlock. Oh, really? Yeah, and um, it was quite bizarre because I was filming the Ken Lo- a Ken Loach movie at, at the time, and I came back to to do this um, the crazy thing in the in the, in the lunatic asylum. Um, with Benedict and then later on that day uh, we, oh, we just did loads of, loads of different ways okay loads of, which is the kind of way I like to work anyway which is to just do lots of embarrassing stuff and lots of kind of uh, <laughs> more respectful slightly <laughs> attempting to be cool stuff that always never works and then um, they oh, you, know, you just give it over to them I said it lots of different ways did it without saying it did it um uh, trying to do it in a look and then they choose whatever 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 they choose whatever they choose so was that the same day that you also did the kissing scene then on the, on the no rooftop? oh sorry no I, I, oh. I, I'm sorry I, 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 we did that a separate day okay fine yeah. because I was also asked specific questions about that oh I'm sure you were come on <laughs> perverts well no but basically I mean you know how many takes like what you know what was involved oh yeah um, not not uh, I'm trying to remember last year so uh, uh, <laughs> it's a long time ago we went. We went back up to the to the, obviously to the roof of St Bart's, and no, we did it. We did it quite quickly. We were quite giggly during it, as you can imagine. It's a very funny premise, um, and uh, yeah, we did. We did. We think we did it about two or three, three takes. I think, yeah. And yeah, at least the the scene was written, so you could you know look happy and and not be sort of you know. Yeah, it was sort of. They were out of character. Were, yeah, they were, exactly. they were They were kind of out of character. Yeah, yeah. intentionally. Yeah, so. Yes. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> it was probably one. I mean, did you get like a lot of texts when that stuff airs? You know. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, you do. You get a lot of. I mean, it's extraordinary to be in, in, in that show because yeah. everybody has a has a relationship with it, whether they hate it or they don't like it. They certainly know about it, uh, but most people there uh, um, get very excited by it, and um, and also because I have always keep a secret as to what's involved. So people well done. Are, are, <laughs> thank you. Um, so people are always aghast that I'm, I'm I haven't told them. 
right. you know, my close friends and family and pets. And so it's just the, the the phone just buzzing and buzzing and yeah, buzzing the phone does a bit of does a bit of bit, bit of buzzing. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um. Also, you're in you're a voice in Locke. Yeah, I'm about to see that this evening. Oh, good. You'll enjoy it. He's fantastic. Tom is absolutely extraordinary. I hear great things, yeah. but um, pa- Ruth Wilson was apparently describing this hotel room she was in for recording. Mm. It's just the most horrible room. Oh, it was like fluorescent, horrible like dodgy hotel on the side of I shouldn't name the hotel but it was like one of those you know very corporate um, I, I actually remember I'd just come back from LA so I was quite jet lagged and um, I'd finished filming and the great thing about doing an audio thing is that it doesn't matter what you eat so and I was jet lagged so I, I, I keep associating that with jelly tots <laughs> that's all I just ate just like sh- massive sugar buzz then go in do the take um, so the, the character is quite um <laughs> I don't know if that was in the script or was it based on my sugar addiction. But, wow. um So that's what I remember from it. Fair enough. It was such a bizarre way of or bizarre way of filming because we fe- filmed it in the middle of the night. We filmed it at like oh, really? yeah, yeah, because Tom had to go out and we we um we did it like a live play. So we were phoning him constantly. So so Olivia or Ruth would go in and um do their bit and they'd sort of go off quietly and then we'd go in and so we were ringing him immediately but because Tom had to drive around so much we obviously needed there to be no no traffic right so we had to do it in the middle of the night over six nights and those are the kind of those are the kind of projects that I actually really you know you just think when the hell are you ever going to do this again and if you get to do it with brilliant actors and Steve Knight he can write a script um, yeah pretty pretty um, uh, spectacularly so um Maybe, but I was off my face on on, <laughs> on jelly tots, <laughs> on jelly tots, the Haribo, whatever. Yeah. Kids don't do sugar. <laughs> exactly, don't do sugar. <laughs> other 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 um, sweet products are available as well. <laughs> Did you learn a lot about concrete then? Because your character is most concerned with with concrete. Yeah. Well, again, that was the thing I was going. I just want to know because uh, my I, I, had to, I had to understand what I was saying, but you know, for an audience to understand to make concrete. Dun, 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 dramatic and it is the idea of concrete in the film is really thank god this is really gripping um but again i didn't want to know too much about it because then you forget what the audience really needs to know yeah. and, and and particularly when you're only using your voice you can't demonstrate it in any other way and that's what the great achievement of the film is that you've got this great plot even though you're only in one location it's really really extraordinary it's pretty good going yeah uh, finally because I think we're over time and I know you have to have your lunch um, you were in Saving Private Ryan I was what is the guide for people looking to spot you on the beach I am the guy I, I don't know if you, if you remember the, the, the beach scene mm-hmm. I'm the guy in green with the dirt on his face green with dirt on his face yeah. well that should be you can't music. miss me <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's me excellent alright well we'll get everyone looking out for that yeah Thank you, you can't miss much. me thanks Emil <laughs> Okay, time for the lovely movie news. What have you got? What have we got? Well, I went this week to see about 20 minutes of Edge of Tomorrow, um, which is the new Doug Lyman film starring Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And uh, I just thought I'd tell you about that. That was really, really good looking. I think people have a tendency not always to be excited about Tom Cruise these days, uh, which I think is a shame because I think he's brilliant. Get excited about personally. Tom Cruise. I'm yeah, very get excited. Get excited right and, now. And actually, I'm jumping on my chair. And actually, even if you're not a Tom Cruise fan, as Doug Lyman pointed out, um, this film sees him get killed like 200 times. Mm. So, you know, there'll be something literally for everyone. If you're a fan, he's in it throughout. If you're not a fan, he gets killed a lot. Let me explain. 
Did he actually say that? Yes, he, he did. actually did. Wow. Yes. <laughs> so basically, the idea, the idea is it's a kind of a Groundhog Day sci-fi war movie. Uh, aliens have attacked Earth. Boo. Tom Cruise's character is a kind of an army PR man who, after a considerable screw-up, finds himself transferred to the front lines and thrown into a massive beach assault. Interestingly, it's a beach assault based in England and going to the French coast. So there's real echoes of World War II there. Um, and um, they are trying to kind of fight back against the aliens, obviously. But this one particular slightly weird alien comes into contact with Cruz. And then he finds that every time he dies, he starts, he wakes up again before the attack and starts reliving the same day. Yeah, he's got the time loop. He's caught, yeah. it, 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 sort of, yes. So he can now kind of he knows what's coming he can try and react to circumstances that he now knows are going to happen um, and he finds uh, Emily Blunt's character Rita Rokatsky who kind of knows what he's going through um, and explains some of the rules of what's happening to him and helps him try and fight back it's going to be pretty darn cool I think it's it looks fantastic the action's pretty cool but also you know it has some really nice character beats she's very very good and again, you know, Tom Cruise gets to play a complete coward, which is something new and different for him. Yeah, Doug Lyman said that the amount of times Tom Cruise squeals in this movie is uh, unexpected. I'm looking and forward to that. Joy. Yeah, I, I think so. it'll be like uh, when when Johnny Depp kept, kept fainting in Sleepy yes. Hollow. I, I imagine it being a little bit like yes. that. Yeah, I was I was massively impressed with this. This is one of the, I guess, so far unheralded movies of mm. the summer, uh, and I think it's about time to start heralding it because I don't really know what I was expecting from this film I'll be honest with you uh, we had seen the early shots of, of Cruz wearing a, a, an exoskeleton uh, running away from an explosion because you know he's a cool guy and that's what cool guys do <laughs> uh, but this is interesting the, the the 20 minutes we saw was a bit of a melange of different scenes mm. it all looked very very impressive there was an amazing the, the, the assault on the beach is an astonishing astonishing set piece it's yeah. basically saving Private Ryan but on a truly epic scale with uh, things happening, people being crushed, people being exploded, people shooting aliens and crews running through it all, not knowing what the hell he's doing at first. At first. Then gradually he becomes a badass mofo. Um, yeah, it looked really, really good. The evolution of the character, the, uh, we're told there's a lot more humour in the film than, there, than we saw in the in the reel, which basically set up all the action and all the, the sort of dramatic elements as Cruz is basically trying to keep Emily Blunt's character, who previously could do what he did, so she's aware of what he's able what the to do is, yeah, yeah. Uh, as he starts to fall for her and begins to want to keep her alive because you know, if she dies there ain't no going back uh, for her anyway so yeah it, it seems really intriguing could be could be very funny visually brilliant Doug Lyman obviously you know he's interesting Swingers Born mm. Identity Mr. and Mrs. Smith which I which I really really liked a lot uh, and then Jumper and Fair Game on the other end of the scale but he does do quirky and unexpected uh, like few big name directors and so I'm very very intrigued by this one yeah I, I would also say if you have read the book which is of course uh, called All You Need Is Kill it's a Japanese novel I still um, prefer that title I, I do too it doesn't mean a lot but it's it's a nice title uh, it is uh there are changes here as well as the setting and the Japanese uh, character. There are also story changes. Um, and I think they've changed the end quite substantially. So if you have read the book, don't worry. It's not going to be a shot-for-shot shot remake. If you haven't read the book, you can safely read it and without spoiling the film entirely. Intriguing. Uh, it wasn't the only uh, preview of footage that Warner Brothers brought to us last week. Last Friday, just as the podcast went up, they uh, previewed five new scenes from Godzilla. Uh, which is obviously our cover movie this month, with Gareth Edwards, the director, in attendance for a Q&A, very, very fun, very relaxed Q&A, 
as well. Uh, and I have to say, set aside the fact that it's on the cover this month, uh, I have to say I was absolutely blown away. Uh, this the five scenes I can't go into huge detail to be honest because Gareth Edwards requests that we don't. But uh, some of the action sequences in this are look as if they have the potential to be truly, truly astonishing. I don't think I've seen a director handle scale in this way. The contrast of truly enormous, ginormous beasts and um, little tiny humans this well before. It's just, it's it's mind-blowing. And there, there's um, potentially some great human drama as well. The first two scenes were about Brian Cranston and there was no, there wasn't a scaly monster inside. Uh, and then there was a, a attack on Hawaii sequence which, which was just astonishing. A really, really tense moment on a bridge and then uh, a longer version of the descent into San Francisco that we've seen in the trailers so that's not a spoiler to show that there are soldiers descending into San Francisco and uh, we got our very first look at Godzilla in action uh, a full shot of Godzilla moving and roaring and uh, yeah it kicks the Emmerich film in its entirety <laughs> into the middle of next week and I'm really 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 excited about this more so than I was going into it which I guess is the point of these things Yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Check out our trailer breakdown with Gareth Edwards himself. It's a 10-minute thing, so set apart a little bit of your uh, lunch break. So 10 you can, minutes, perhaps. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But a little bit of the whole of your lunch break mm. to enjoy it because not only, obviously, does it reveal certain things you may not already know, but it allows you to slowly assess what you're looking at. Yes. And, of course, the new issue is still on sale. So do check it out. It's on the iPad. It's on newsstands. Do check it out. It's Godzilla on the cover and loads of other good stuff inside. Anything else? News story-wise, mm. just a couple of things. Uh, the rumour mill is uh, spitting out a couple of new things, uh, including a possible new Matrix trilogy on its way. Nothing mm -hmm. confirmed. It's just being talked about. So consider that. These rumours have, of course, arisen before and nothing came of them. But there you go. Now you know. Also, the Birds remake is still ongoing. Uh, it's not necessarily a remake of Hitchcock's film. It's more a re-adaptation of the original uh, novella. So that is happening. I okay. just wanted these these people who listen to us to be aware of such things. <laughs> and who wrote that original? Was it Daphne du Maurier who wrote the original? That's the correct. Obviously set in England, whereas the film was not. So with mostly pigeons. Correct. <laughs> mostly pigeons. And a robin. Yeah. There was One, a uh, robin redbreast taking people's eyes out. This could be my mum's favourite film. After 12 years of slave, obviously. I have some hot Bond 24 news. Wow. Our man, who goes by the name of Incredible Suit, Mr. Bond. Un went undercover <laughs> uh, to interview John Logan, the screenwriter of Bond 24. Sole screenwriter. This he time. went no undercover. Purvis and Wade. <laughs> he went in the disguise of a writer for Empire. Yes. <laughs> really taking it by surprise there. Yep. He That's totally a Bond blindsided under. him with a gadget, a gizmo, <laughs> yeah. known as a dictaphone, <laughs> and uh, took down the things that he said. Five, five facts. One... He's very nearly finished his wow. first draft of Bond 24. Wow. Two, it's going to be bigger, better than ever before. See, you they always say that, though, don't yeah, they? Yeah, you so rarely they hear them say, say that. They always say that it's going to be, be smaller and a bit worse. In scale. Yeah. We are reducing the scale of this film. We're going to yes. make it much less visual. To be honest with you, Empire, I'm really struggling with it. I don't know what I'm doing. Can you take a look and <laughs> see what you think? Do you think I should have James Bond in this one? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, all right, all right. That's a fact three. Have you read my list? <laughs> Bond is back in this film. <laughs> um, it, what he basically says is that, <laughs> like Skyfall, it's going to be full of little kind of, uh, pr probably going to be full of little riffs and little references back to Bond heritage. So that if you like the, the Aston Martin reveal, that kind of stuff from Skyfall, there'll be plenty in it for you. That felt a little bit like a celebration of Bond 50. 
the anniversary but he's saying I think that that's going to be an ongoing thing he also reiterated some of the things that have been mentioned before which is that he's going to it will continue some of the threads that played out in uh, in Casino Royale and even before Casino Royale although he wouldn't talk about Quantum whether Quantum would be coming back obviously wouldn't mention Blofeld whether Blofeld would be the villain um, so you know I think it was about as much information as you're going to get out of a screenwriter who's perhaps a few pages from finishing his first draft full story the full interview is up on the website so go to that for more he also confirmed that October is going to be the likely start date the film's out in October 2015 so they'll be getting cracking on the shoot in October this year. I really like the references as far as they went in Skyfall to mm. previous Bond films. That I liked because it was the 50th anniversary and because it was a general re-celebration, re-celebration of what it was to love Bond growing mm. up and being a human British being, I guess. Mm. I don't really want any more. I feel like that was that and now we move on. That doesn't encourage me. The rest of the stuff, bigger, better, bouncier, <laughs> full of beans, fantastic. I don't want to have too many yelp hello see what we're doing here it depends how they do it i don't see i don't see them maybe the the aston martin reveal is about as on the nose as you're going to get in any logan scripted bond film for the 50th but i think little nods and winks here and there would be fine um maybe not a bondola that might be going over the top but you know We'll see, what he, we'll see what he has in mind. I mean, he could be much subtler than that. It could just be mm. callbacks to old Fleming novels, you know, obscure kind of bits of character detail. Um, a, a pigeon. I, I, oh, the double-taking pigeon, as as, uh, as our writer Neil Alcock mentions in the story. You just gave away a secret identity there. I'm yeah. the worst. Okay, that's it for movie news. Now it's time for our second interview. Wes Anderson is a brilliant, quirky, fastidious director of the likes of Rushmore, The Royal Tenenbaums, The Life Aquatic with Steve Sisu. And Moonrise Kingdom, he's one of the most stylish people around, always nicely turned out. And this week he returns to the director's chair with the Grand Budapest Hotel, a 30-set all-star caper that could be the Wes Anderson, the yes thing he's done yet. He came to London recently and spoke to the Brothers Assemblyan, Nick and Phil. Enjoy. Well, just let's start with the, the, the sort of provenance of the Grand Budapest Hotel. Where did the, the idea kind of come from? My, my friend Hugo, he and I made up this story together. We had an idea maybe eight years ago to make a story about this mutual friend of ours or, or with a character inspired by our friend. And we came up with something. We, you know, we spent some time on it and made a, a story that probably would have been about a 20-minute movie. Then we couldn't figure out what happened next. And we and we tried, and we just couldn't. We hit a wall. It was set in the present day, and it was in England and France. And um, anyway, we set it aside. Then maybe two years ago, I, I, I had been thinking I would like to do a, a story that was inspired by Stefan Zweig's work that was a European story and that was set in the sometime in the first half of the 20th century and had a sort of flashback structure built into it. And um, and I just suddenly thought, I think these could go together. And I had this idea to make the guy a hotel concierge. And once it was, you know, I feel like usually a movie needs to be not just one idea, but two. Uh, and in this case, it's sort of three. And um, once the once the mixture started, then... I got Hugo back, and we and we came up with the whole story. And is it true that, that as sort of research, you travelled around Europe and talked to a load of concierges? Yes. Once the once the script was done, we then set off to figure out where we're going to do it and how we're going to go about this. And we went to we went to Vienna and we went to Budapest and we we travelled all around in the Czech Republic. 
and a little in Poland and all over Germany. We always knew we were probably going to shoot it in Germany because there are a number of reasons why there's there, there's crews and there's uh, there's quite a lot of money that comes back from whatever it is tax incentive something or another. But the trap. But going to the other place. I mean, Budapest is also a place where people do a lot of movie work. Um, and this traveling around, we got some very so, some quite big ideas that became a part of the movie. Some things that weren't in the script that are in the movie, such as in the in the script. There was there was the hotel in the 30s when it was at its height and it was at its most popular and kind of glamorous. And there was a later part of the story. There was another part of the story where it's in the late 60s and the hotel is faded and kind of uh, falling apart. We, in our travels, decided that that would be communist and that that would be reflected in the architecture. And we saw lots and lots of things where, you, you know, you really can feel these... Uh, ideologies and regimes uh, in the buildings, um, and um, and that came from wondering, wondering, wondering around. And also, we found lots of pe- people that we put in the movie. Concierges are like they're like sages or grandmothers. They just sort of know everything, don't they? Did you? What's the most kind of curious piece of information or or tidbit that you picked up in your travels? Well, you know, one thing that was interesting was when we were in Prague at one point. Um, the American ambassador, the ambassador from the United States to Czech Republic, um, his name's Norm Eisen. He hosted us for a little. Uh, he invited us over, and and he had arranged a um, little cocktail party with the members of the Golden Key, which is the guild of concierges, and um, and so it was fourteen Prague concierges gathered together in a room, and I really didn't know what was going to happen. And he said, <laughs> "Wes, you'll sit over here, and they'll sit here." And they circled all around me. And he said, "Now you'll ask them your questions." And I was like, "I, I, I haven't prepared anything." And um, but he helped me uh, start asking. The interesting was the con- general consensus is they, you know, there are all kinds of things they do when they're part of hotels in every way. They, they, they are slightly separated from the rest of the staff of the hotel, the concierge. He's not, they, they're not really a part. In, in our movie, he's sort of the concierge slash, slash uh, what they call front of house manager. The, he really runs the place. But the concierges, usually they have their own separate thing and they have even slight rivalry with the rest of the people in the hotel. But a huge part of their thing, especially some of the older ones in the group, is they they they've been replaced by uh, Google. Um, you know, I mean, uh, so much of what they would normally do, they do themselves that way. And people now go to them and say, "Well, I found this one, this one, this one, and what do you think of that?" And um, you know, they, 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 the 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 information is no longer uh, exclusive to them. We have to ask about Ray Fiennes because he's just he, he's fantastic in the movie and. Uh, it occurred to me that he's played Eamon Goeth in Schindler's List, and this is more like his sort of Oscar Schindler type of character. He can do both very comfortably. Was there a particular movie that, that alerted you to his kind of you know, appropriateness for the part? Yes, well, there were two things. I, I, I had uh, First, I wanted to work with him for many years just as a fan, and also because I had the sense that he's one of these actors who really throws himself into it and is is intense about it had you ever got close to to casting him in any of your other films i well i you know i had started to write a part the, the last movie i did moon moonrise kingdom there was a role that um is not in the film there's a character that 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 ended up i just sort of weeded them out a bit 
but it was for Rafe. I've never mentioned this to him, in fact, but, uh, but I, I, there was a character that was sort of developing. That was quite a, you know, that was a bit more of a, uh, a darker character than anybody that's actually in the movie, in fact. Um, and it didn't, at, at a certain point, I just felt it wasn't right for the story, but I, I, ha- I, I had been thinking of him, you know, which often I'm not thinking of an actor while writing, but in that case, I was. Also, I had seen him in, uh, well, in a play, God of Carnage, that, where, that he was very funny in. And, and also in Bruges, he's very funny, even though he's scary. But the other thing is, I'd gotten to know him a little bit here and there. And I sort of had a sense of how he would be in this part. And I just thought, I don't think anybody else could, could do this. Um, there's so much text, and it needs somebody who's a bit of a powerhouse Yes, yeah, so luckily, he was up for it. When you when you're writing a script, in the back of your mind, do you have the question: What is Bill Murray going to play? <laughs> Which part? Yes. Well, this one, you know, they, Bill has quite a little part in this one, but he's a kind of crucial moment. Um, and um, the last movie, he had a much bigger part. Um, I, I think he's been in every movie I've done since uh, the, the the second one. I only did one movie without him. But I never made some. It's not that I have some rule about it. You know, I did one movie. One movie that Owen Wilson is not in in any way, and that was just kind of. It just didn't happen. You don't um, shut down production if that doesn't happen. <laughs> no. How do you reach him? I mean, obviously uh, you've got his mobile, and but Bill you or just Owen. send in the script, Bill. Bill. Um, well, Bill. Um, yeah. Well, you know. In fact, the thing with Bill is to get to send him something. I. My, uh, I think we say now she's called executive producer. Uh, somebody who many years ago was my assistant, but has worked. But even before she was my assistant, she worked for our producer at that time. Her name is Molly Cooper. Molly has worked with me in different ways and is now one of our producers. Um, uh, um, but she is also quite close to Bill. Over the years of us working together, she's become close to Bill and has helped him with various things and um, and. Molly always knows how to get. She's she's actually the the great uh, person of figuring out how to get things in Bill's hands and organize th- things like that. I was hoping you might have a Bill symbol signal like Batman on a roof. <laughs> a dead drop in Central Park. A groundhog symbol goes up in the sky <laughs> yes. and he comes along. I think if you had that, you'd probably say, "I've been shining this Bill signal for a week. I get. I'm getting nothing. I get, he, he's not. He's not. He's, he's on the golf course. He's not looking at the sky." Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm curious. Um, it's kind of a two part question. One, uh, other than films you've directed, which Bill Murray films are you particularly fond of? You know, there are so many that I'm very fond of, but the ones that made me most interested to, 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 to work with him in the, in the, first, the first time were partic- particular ones, it, 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 which were the ones where he was more, they were some of the they're funny parts, but they were not really comedies. And I and it, it, something really struck me when I first saw him in movies like that. Um, and those are um, there's one called Mad Dog and Glory. Have you ever seen Mad Dog and Glory? And he's just great. De Niro. And yeah, but De Niro. It's a great movie. And Uma Thurman, John McNaughton, uh, McNaughton. It's the director. And it's a Richard Price script. It's a good movie. And Bill's great in it. Ed Wood. He has a small, a smaller part in Ed Wood, and he's just surreally great. <laughs> and um. And the other one was uh, The Razor's Edge, which is really a full-fledged dramatic role. And, um, and I loved him in all three of those. And that's part of some mixture of seeing all those it, it, uh, was in my mind when we first pursued him to be in uh, Rushmore. 
and I don't know if you're going to have a take on this, but this is a perennial debate on our podcast. Ghostbusters 1 or Ghostbusters 2? Oh, we, like which one's better? Yeah, I, I think the second one might be better, but I seem to be the only person in the world. Yeah, well, I don't know if you're the only person in the world, but I'm not going to help you. <laughs> he is the only person in the world. We've checked. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Officially now. I, you've got Ed Norton in this movie. I wondered that presumably you cast him before Saturday Night Live skit, which I believe is called Midnight Cottery of Sinister Intruders, which is a very loving kind of pastiche of, of, of your style. I'm assuming you're not going to cast him in any more movies. <laughs> well, the funny thing was, Edward wrote me a text message or an email saying, um, do, do you have an idea, what would be a good title for a horror movie? And I really got the sense he's working on a movie, uh, he's trying to, I mean, I felt I was being approached as a fellow artist. Um, <laughs> but none of my stuff I pitched got in there. You know, I had a variety of things. I don't really remember. They weren't particularly strong, I, I suppose. But, you know, I, I didn't even come close. I, I think I, I, I was saying, here's what we came up with. We're not, <laughs> not going to do that. Um, so, um, and the other funny thing was, he apparently asked my girlfriend if he could borrow some shoes. And so, so she knew. She, she knew about this. <laughs> she was in New York, and she, he'd been in touch with her trying to get, get, part, part, get, get access to my closet. So Ed Norton effectively wanted you to de facto executive produce the spoof of your own movies. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Has he given you, uh, given you a sort of a yearning to, to make a horror movie? I have thought about that before. Um, I mean, I, w- I would like, you know, I, like, I, I'm a great fan of uh, Polanski um, and, um, and also, you know, I love The Exorcist. I love The Shining. Um, you know, I wouldn't mind kind of, it's not exactly the beyond the realm of uh, I mean I, I think I could make it a lot scarier than that Saturday Night Live thing was and, um, and I, I, I think that it's, you know, it's, it's possible it'd be the best dressed horror film I think uh, I spoke to you in Cannes for Midnight Kingdom and you mentioned then that you were a bit of a fan of sci-fi as well which you, is maybe a little bit surprising yeah well I, I, I think um, yeah I, I'm sure I said I, would, I, that I wanted to do a, 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 a one on location in space that was my that was my plan at one point. Um, um, I I think um, yes. You know I also there's one I think. Of, did you ever see this Vim Vendors movie, um, The State of Things? No, I haven't seen that. Oh uh, well, it's an interesting movie, and um, they're in Portugal, where they're making a uh, there. There's a movie crew in Portugal, and they're making a science fiction movie. Uh, they're 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 meant to be on some other planet, and. Um, and then they run out of money, and so then it's about these people tr- waiting in Portugal to try to get uh, to see if they can continue with their project. Right. Um, but um, I kind of like the movie. I mean, you know, I, I, I we can do better <laughs> than this. But but there is something kind of about it that has always made me think. Gosh, it would be interesting to try that working on some you know desolate landscape somewhere uh, 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 with people wearing strange helmets and things. The idea of like you know your loving touch with production design and, and and just general design in the futuristic, you know, opens up a whole new realm of kind of touch points for you. I guess that must be. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever seen Metropolis? You've, you've seen, yes. Um, I mean, they, they, you know, that's what one of those. I mean, yeah, we, we, we've seen that that those ideas evolve uh, in all kinds of different ways. But um, 
But you can feel something. a tiny bit of your style even in like the Melier trip to the moon kind of world. Yeah, yeah, I can see what you mean. Yes, um, the, the, yeah, you know, all those, all the that 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 part of Hugo uh, that takes us through his work um, is a uh, is very interesting and uh, really appealing. Um, I, I mean, I, I would I would like to see Scorsese do a. Um, you know, what I'd like to see him do is a um, one of his history of movies documentaries, like the Italian one and he did the, the American movies one. If he did one that was for um, children, you know, mm. I think that could be interesting because that's sort of what is contained in the middle of Hugo. I mean, it's all about the M- M- Melies' uh, uh, work, but it's uh, but I think. Um, it, you know, it could be expanded. Yeah, it just reminded me of of a George what George Clooney said when he got the script for Fantastic Mr. Fox. Did he not say something like, "I'm not sure who it's for, but let's do it"? Yes. I wondered if you now, looking back, know who that movie was for more than you did perhaps before you set off. No, not really. I wouldn't <laughs> say that. <laughs> Has anyone tried to play Whackbat that you know of? Um, I, yeah. Well, every now and then I meet I I I meet someone on the I meet a kid on the street who who tells me about his attempt. But you know it's very hard to play. And uh, I, 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 I as I recall that you there, there, there's a there's a sort of pyrotechnic aspect to this sport, um, which is really you know it's difficult to find the right <laughs> to the flammable right pine field. cone as yes, well. Yes, yeah. exactly. I have uh, a question about your um. um Aftershave ranges. Lair de Panache yes. is is Rafe is um Gustave H's signature scent. Yes. And it's the second, I believe, because in, in um Darjeeling Limited. Ah, you're right, yeah. Um I'm trying to recall We have uh, I'm trying to recall the name and it's completely Le Petit More. Was it Voltaire number six? Voltaire number six, yes, that's it. <laughs> so you were basically one away from launching your own sort of range of scents no you're right you're right in fact in france they uh they 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 produced the Lair de panache um not for sale um but they've actually they've actually uh they've actually um uh, bottled a few um ounces of the stuff can you describe it using all of the correct olfactory terminology I, I I can't, but I will tell you that the that it's that that the person who we who inspired this character that Rafe plays Gustav Gustav H we call him he um he begins the it, maybe not in the morning but but really he launches the day with six six strong squirts of uh, Versace. Ooh, <laughs> stings the nostrils. <laughs> It's a lot swearier than Fantastic Mr. Fox. You've replaced the cuss, the cuss with actual. I wonder what your what your choice of swear word is for for when when you kind of have a bad moment. Well, I would probably tend to go with the with the more traditional ones. In Mr. Fox, we use cuss because we were we were aiming for a, for a, a PG. Mm. We we had a lot more cussing in it in the earlier cuts. We actually we actually reduced those a bit. Um, there was a bit of actually there was a bit of um, of a debate because the guy who was the head of the studio at the time really thought it was he didn't like it. He didn't like that aspect, just that thing, the cuss thing. Yeah. I, I I don't know if he thought it was. I think he thought it was on the edge of being not PG. I guess. But uh, but I did insist. I, I, I and and we we kept uh, we kept most of it. Um, 
I, I personally always liked it. I thought it was something, you know, I've heard people use it in real life, especially people <laughs> who were working on that movie. Um, they became comfortable just, uh, you know, uh, cussing. <laughs> so there could be an unrated cuts DVD coming out <laughs> at some point. It's just more cussing. Yeah. We, we need to let you go. Just a final question. You said earlier that you like to have two ideas for a film. Have you got both of them for your next one? Well, uh, oddly, for this next one, I have five things, five ideas, but they aren't really... Uh, you know, now I have this uh, consciousness that uh, all I need to do is take what I've got and start mixing them together. This one, they're not mixing, and something st- I'm not sure what's going to happen. I have five ideas, none of which are enough to make a movie, and um, also none of which seem to have anything to do with each other and seem <laughs> impossible to combine. So I, I'm not sure where that's going to lead. So you need five more, and then you can make five films in a row. And then I'll, then I'll have the next... 15 years uh, lined up <laughs> alright awesome thank you very much thank Ramsen. you thank thanks you. very much it's been a pleasure thank you and let's start the reviews portions of the show with the Grand Budapest Hotel shall we mm. I think Ali here probably had the best way of describing this imagine a film a Wes Anderson film starring Ray Fiennes set in a fictional country in the 1930s yep and that is what this film is. <laughs> that is 100% what this film is. I think it's one of those things that... I'm imagining something the, pretty depressing. No, it's not <laughs> depressing. It's got, a, it's got a kind of an energy and a glee and a, and a, and a vibrancy. And it's also got... See, that's interesting. Because you say Ray Fiennes, I don't necessarily think of energy but I think and glee and He's vibrancy. very funny, I think. Think, That's the thing. I've heard he's really good, yeah. I think Ray Fiennes is... I think he def- defined himself. He stretched himself in, in Bruges, as a, you know, and proved that he had comic comic timing and comic chops. And I think he's gone perhaps even a stage further with this one, where he's shown all of those things. Plus, he's got a sort of vaudevillian kind of almost Cary Granty charisma as well. He's he's a brilliant character because at times he's so unlikable, a little bit like George Clooney's Mr. Fox. He's he's kind of capricious and flighty and unreliable, um, but he's so charming. And I think Ray Fiennes is the sort of core of this he's the heart of the movie and giving this character making him likeable who is he he is he plays a character called Gustav who is the uh, he's the um, concierge concierge of the Grand Budapest Hotel which as I say is in the mountains perched on perched on a sort of eyrie in uh, it's basically like the Grand Hotel Pup which is where they shot Casino Royale that kind of thing exactly good reference and uh, the, the story is basically that he comes into he has a he has a kind of an eye for the older lady should we say and, and one of them um, played by Tilda Swinton dies and bequeaths him this portrait this incredibly uh, expensive portrait called Boy with Apple and uh, this Artie McGuffin basically gets him in deep with some bad characters specifically Adrian Brody and Willem Dafoe returning for his most evil Wes Anderson collaboration yet as a brilliantly kind of he probably is sort of the most the most evil the darkest character in any Wes Anderson film I would say he makes yeah. Rat from Fantastic Mr. Fox look, look like you know Ratatouille he's very <laughs> very nasty and this film you know it gets quite violent at times there's there's chases there's capering but there's also quite a, some dark moments mm. um, Th- but there's it, a German invasion essentially in the middle of it there well. is because let's not forget this fictional country 1932 is basically run by a kind of adenoid Henkel type dictatorship so there's lots of the kind of Wes Anderson's created this this fascist iconography which is slightly absurd, but also a little bit like The Great Dictator or or um, Duck Soup, mm. the Marx Brothers film. Um, so it, again, all the things you'd expect of Wes Anderson: the beautiful, the beautiful production design, tracking shots, and everybody in the middle of the frame. Everybody in the middle of the frame. More model Bill work. Murray. 
Owen Wilson, very briefly. Jason Schwartzman, very briefly. Model work, fun, light of tone. <laughs> I think I liked it probably more than you. Is that fair? That is fair. I feel like... Um, I like Wes Anderson. Uh, I love the Royal Tenenbaums. I like lots of his other films. This is essentially all Wes Anderson films ever thrown in a cauldron and boiled down to the very essence. I mean, this is the most concentrated, you know, sort of injection of Andersoniness. Uh, possible, it seems to me. And that means if you dislike anything about him, it will be magnified because the levels of whimsy here are off the scale. And and for me, it just sometimes I think that kind of it felt like it got in the way of things. So there's this incredibly elaborate framing devices with sort of three different levels of frame to the story that, that you actually care about. And it doesn't always, I, I think, have quite the energy it needs to have for the farcical nature of the story. I think if, you, if you're going to have a farce like this, it really has to be perfectly paced. And sometimes they kind of slow down to a slightly more languid moment. So, and it, that kind of lost it for me a little bit. I know bit. what you mean. And I, I think you're right. People, if you don't like Wes Anderson, you know, this is, this is not, one, not a movie for you, clearly. It's the most Wes Anderson-y thing ever. Yeah. Um, but... I quite like that. I quite like that. I mean, his interest is in the characters, and he lingers on the characters. And is I quite, it though? I think so. I think the story is always slightly subsidiary to the fact that he he finds delight in in the humans at the heart of his story. But I don't. I mean, this is what I've been kind of feeling about it. I don't always feel that his characters are characters. I feel like they're just mannerisms sometimes, and and I'm kind of willing to go with it a lot of the time because I find them amusing, and I you know I think it all looks incredible, but. To call them characters sometimes, you know, anyone other than Ray Fiennes here, to call them a character seems a little bit over-generous maybe. But, I mean, which is not... I'm possibly damning it a little more than I mean to. I just feel like there's... I think There's one some of the, room for improvement here. One of the things that he does, he has these kind of um, surrogate family units develop in, in, amongst his character groups. And they always, for me, they always give it a little something, you know, something more than that. It elevates it above caricature. And um, here you've got Mustafa, played by Tony Rivalori. Mm-hmm. And uh, the little kid who's basically, you know, he has a surrogate dad in, 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 in Gustav. And Gustav finds his character kind of finds, finds in himself to give this kid you know, some guidance professionally and as a kind of a mentor. Yeah. So that kind of that bond does fuel, does kind of carry the film on that level for me, at least. I would agree that 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 relationship is quite sweet. But for example, him uh, zero, the, the young uh, rivalry and his girlfriend isn't developed at all. It's just one of those Wes Anderson, look, a quiet girl stares at a boy and then they fall in love things. Um, but anyway, I mean, we gave it four stars and, you know, it's hard to argue with that on, on many levels. Just I have a few niggling suspicions about it. It seems like every man and his dog is in this film. The poster is just kind of a uh, pigeonhole on pom pigeonhole of more people. Does Iggy pop up at any point? No. He's Shame. the one person that isn't in this film. The dog's not in it either actually, weirdly. Oh, but you're right, everyone else is. And uh, I like that about it. Uh, a lot of people just kind of turn up for one, literally one shot and disappear again because they're pals and it's fun to do that, I suppose. Good to see Rafe redefine himself. Oh, that's good. That's very good. Except it's Ralph Fiennes, we honour that. Uh, John Travolta does, yeah. Yeah. The wickedly talented Ralph Fiennes. That's four stars for the Grand Budapest Hotel. Also out this week is 300 Rise of an Empire, which isn't a documentary about a movie magazine with its 300th issue coming up, but it's a sequel, prequel, parallelical to 300. No Jerry Butler and Jumps for obvious reasons this time around. I am dead! So Sullivan Stapleton and Jack O'Connell are sucking in their stomachs. Spartan warriors seizing their glory while Eva Green's on hand to give it full glower as their nemesis. 
thoughts on this one? Did, was anyone tempted to seize her glory while <laughs> watching 300 Rise of an Empire? Anyone? No, there, there are, you know, there's a time and a place <laughs> and, and really the cinema isn't it. Uh, this, right, so this is an immensely complicated setup in that some of it takes place prior to 300, explains how Xerxes became a nine-foot-tall golden bloke. Um, so you get a little bit of backstory there from uh, Rodrigo Santoro. You also get the sort of parallel story to 300, which is uh, Athenian leader Themistocles, played by Sullivan Stapleton, trying to rally the Greek city-states together to meet the Persian uh, advance. And then the sort of... Uh, parallel slash sequel bit which involves the Battle of Salamis which is where the Greeks took on the Persian Navy. So the Greek ships took on the Persian Navy and most of this is naval battles. So that's where Eva Green comes in because she is Xerxes' um, naval commander uh, Artemisia um, and she is seriously formidable obviously psycho because I think Eva Green at this point uh, specialises really in really really scary slightly psychotic possibly witchy women Um, and she's you know she's given it the whole heave ho in this case um, in some fabulous uniforms and some uh, extremely scary uh, behaviour which involves quite a lot of beheading and or drowning of her subordinates when they fail to live up to her expectations some really I mean odd stylistic choices here they've you know and Noam Moreau who who directs this one as Zack Snyder produces um, he's he's kept the speed ramping he's kept the sort of CG slow-mo blood splatters but he uses them so much that it's incredibly distracting Um, and and also just he slows it down so much and for such long periods of time that it almost feels like he's trying to go for some kind of art house feeling at times which is bizarre but also just little details like the, the thick, almost black blood will splatter, but then it won't stay on people's shields when it lands. And just really odd things like that that just don't quite ring true. I, I feel like it could have done with another pass in that department. And then the battles are quite good, but display a real you know contempt at times for the laws of physics and nature, uh, with a, literally you know boats almost coming over a sea hill and down the slope to meet the other boats and, and I, I get the sort of the effect that they were going for but but it does look a, f- a fraction ridiculous in 3D I think the problem here is that they've written Themistocles as quite a straight ahead clear cut uncomplicated hero type the historical record I think is, is a little bit more complicated than that to begin with but also it doesn't make for a very good matchup with Eva Green's completely mental Artemisia and I think if they'd made him a bit sort of edgier and a bit more unhinged almost then you might have had a better kind of uh, hatred or slash love-hate relationship at the heart of the film that might have carried you through. But as it is, it's a bit of a disappointment for me. Not bad, but just not all it could have been. What about the ab team? The abs are all present and correct. Are they as impressive as the first movie? They're a bit bulkier, actually. I think they've they've done a different training regime this time. Last time, with the exception of Jared Butler, who wanted to have some bulk, mm. they all went for a very lean, stripped-back look, and here they are, actually. They do look like bodybuilders for the most part. Interesting. So, for me, it sounds like this is... I, I thought this was going to be bad. I thought this was... This isn't a cash grab, because it's been eight years since the previous yeah, film, is that right? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. So this is kind of an idea that's been brewing and has kind of finally come to the fore... I sat, I feel quite encouraged by what people are saying because I thought this was going to be an absolute crash, uh, crash and burn. But it sounds like it's actually per- perfectly serviceable if you're into this sort of thing. It's interesting. You say it's not a cash grab, but obviously, in a way, it is. <laughs> uh, it's just taken a long time, and you do wonder if they've missed that that cultural window. 
in yeah. a way. They've missed their, their moment for a 300 sequel to really make an impact. It really it. feels that, doesn't it? Yeah. I, I, I feel the same way slightly about Sin City yeah. as well. Yeah. Since yeah, the uh, Sin City sequel coming up later in the year, I kind of feel that people be going, what? What's this? What? It's a sequel to what? Oh, yeah, I faked you remember that film. But anyway, three stars. Yeah. To 300 Rise of an Empire. So go and check it out. And I believe it has a, an incredible demented fight love scene is that true yes and and again i think if if themistocles had been a more complicated character that could actually have been a really powerful scene as it is it's it's just really bizarre bizarre good enough for me and good enough for mr ipop uh let's tackle the stag so this is a very small scale irish uh film um but it's actually very charming the first few scenes i have to say seemed looked really really cheap to me like the the lighting was off or something was off and it didn't hang together but once they actually hit the stag do it gets going so the idea is this is modern sort of middle class dubliners um hugh o'connor's character is getting married he's kind of pushed into having a stag do he's not that keen on the idea but he finally compromises on right we'll just go for a nice weekend camping in the country climb some mountains get some air it'll all be very nice he's just planning a little group of his closest friends but his wife insists that she that he brings her brother who is known as The Machine, uh, played by Peter MacDonald. He also uh, co-wrote the film. And, of course, The Machine is, is you know, has slightly bigger ideas of the plan. Um, in the middle of this is Andrew Scott's best man character who's trying to keep everybody kind of on track and hiding his own reservations about the whole thing. So once they get out in the countryside and once they actually sort of start, you know, with their with their little trip, it actually gets really good, and these characters are very very well drawn. Um, so if you kind of stick with it through the first 20, 20 minutes or so, mm-hmm. it's it's really likable. It's not you know it's not going to set the world on fire. It's not huge you know either heavy heavy drama or completely hilarious comedy. It goes for the the, the role somewhere in between tragedy comedy. But yeah, three stars from us. Uh, we should point out that the stag is released in Ireland this week. Uh, it will be released in the UK next week, but we wanted to review it now just to, you know, because... For our Something Irish for the homeland. Yeah. Something for the... Big yeah. R. Something for you there. And Is now, it worth going to Ireland for this weekend? <laughs> I'm not sure I'd make the trip expressly to see it, given that we'll be yeah. here next Friday. But, go um, you know, it's definitely worth Why it. Why not? Look. Three stars yeah. is a recommendation to go to another country to see a film, is it? Or is it just... <laughs> no, that's four. That's four stars, okay. Yeah, that's four. <laughs> Three stars is a recommendation, four stars is go to Ireland. Also out this week is Paranoia, a thriller with an all-star cast, Harrison Ford, Gary Oldman, Liam Hemsworth, uh, which was one of last year's biggest flops in the States. It's finally coming to the UK on one screen in London. <laughs> uh, we gave it two stars, so make of that what you will. Uh, and also, I think the best films out this week are both re-releases. There's the astonishing Australian film Wake and Fright, directed by Ted Kotcheff, starring Donald Pleasance and Gary Bond, uh, which is getting a re-release after uh, almost 40 years, uh, over 40 years actually. It was almost destroyed. It's a terrifying, nightmarish odyssey of one man's descent into hell in the Australian outback. It is truly uh, mesmeric uh, brilliant performances not for everyone there's a kangaroo cull sequence which will not be for the faint hearted a real kangaroo cull sequence but uh, believe me it is an astonishing film and uh, Phil I'm sure you'd be delighted to know that Rome Open City is also being re-released this week yes I'm so delighted by that uh, Rossellini's great um, neorealist masterpiece and it's got one of the probably the most defining moments in cinema if you've seen it you'll know what I'm talking about if you haven't seen it go see it and find out Indeed, and that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We will be joined by Imogen Poots, star of Need for Speed and A Long Way Down, which is just greedy, frankly, and uh, Jonathan Glazer, director of Under the Skin. Also look out for a Terry Gilliam special in which we sit down with a legendary director and ex-Python... No, wait, current Python, ahead of the release of his new movie, 
the Zero Theorem. Until then, it's goodbye from Helen. Tiddly. It's goodbye from Phil. Ciao. It's goodbye from Ali. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to ring Iggy Pop's doorbell. See you next week. Bye.